Welcome to A's Plus, the San Francisco Chronicles podcast on the Oakland Athletics and Major League Baseball. I'm your host, A's beat writer Susan Slusser, and this week I talked to popular outfielder Brandon Moss, a major figure from the A's 2012 through 14 playoff run, who has some funny stories for us as well as some interesting news. Chris Davis will then join us for the Player's Choice segment and let us know what music he's currently listening to. And finally, John Shea and I will discuss the A's being one of the teams subject to grievance by the Players Association on our segment, Shea Plus, with Chronicle National Baseball writer, John Shea. Our guest on A's Plus today is Brandon Moss, who's going into his 12th Major League season. And he's back with the Oakland A's for 2018. Uh, of course, everyone remembers that three-year stretch from 2012 to 2015, through 2014, where he hit 76 home runs, drove in 220 runs for the A's. Uh, so everyone's very happy to see him in an A's uniform again. Brandon, what is it like to be back in the green and gold? It's great. Um, just being back with Bob, I, you know, he's a, he's different than uh, any other manager I've ever had, and that I. I I just have so much – I mean, not that I don't respect my other managers, I do, but they're just – managers are a part of baseball, and you get to know them and you move on. But Bob, Bob's more uh, – he's just a different guy. So to be back with him and, and, and uh, you know, Jed's here, and, and there's some familiar faces, so it's, it's always good to be back here, even when I was a visitor. It, it is kind of weird, though, because you haven't been gone very long, and really there's only a few guys here that you – played with in 2014 which was your last year here yeah but that's baseball now I mean more and more you see teams get built and then dismantled I mean you don't see guys stick around very long it's just the nature of the game now so it's not that uncommon as like it used to be uh, how are you liking the Mesa facility because last time you were here obviously the, the A's were at Phoenix Muni it is a lot nicer I mean you know obviously um even over there in Phoenix Muni, they were it was, it was good. I mean, you know, it was a little close quarters and everything, but here they just, you know, everything's up to date and they, they've got everything you need to get through a spring training healthy and to keep you keep you in shape. So it's a good place. Uh, the, obviously, those 2012, 13, 14 teams were really special to everybody that was around, uh, but I'm sure you have some really good memories. What, what do those teams, those A's playoff teams, mean to you? That was the most fun I ever had in my career. Um, you know, we, we had a few guys that were, you know, really, really, really good players that, you know, borderline superstar players. But even then, you know, Cespedes wasn't quite Cespedes yet. Uh, Donaldson wasn't Donaldson yet. Um, it was just one of those things where it kind of it felt like we were all just high school kids playing on a team together. And, and uh, it just clicked for everybody at the same time. And, um you know, we had good players all over the field. Uh, you, you, you look now at that team and you see where guys are and they're still playing and still producing. So um, it, it was it was a unique team and it was, you don't, you know, those are times where you look back and you, you see like, I, I could have never expected anywhere else to be like that. It wasn't gonna be like that again. Especially 2012, you were a non-roster player in the spring. Uh, then I, I remember you came up, and there was the one of the first times you really made a lot of noise. There was a series at Colorado, and you were kind of then there there to stay. What, what do you remember about that, the, your spring experience, and then when you first came up? I had a really good spring, but uh, you know that team went to Japan, so it was a short spring. But I had a really good spring, even even though on the minor league side when I stayed back, and then um, I went to Sacramento and I played really well. 
and started playing first base again, not really thinking it was going to amount to much. I was just trying to get on the team, you know, not necessarily be a starter or anything. I was just trying to find my way. And, um, you know, that was just one of those times where everything was starting to click for me. And I had been playing well at the AAA level for a few years, but those are two totally different. That's night and day. It's the biggest It's the biggest talent gap in, in professional baseball between AAA and the big leagues. So you don't really think of much about, like, hey, this is going to translate to the big leagues. You're just trying to get there. And I remember coming up, and I hit a home run against Texas in the second day I was here. But then um, – you know, I wasn't I wasn't hitting really well, and it was because I was trying too hard. And my wife and uh, Jaden was the only was our only one at that time. We didn't have Brody yet, and they came to Colorado, and we had an off day. And I just remember sitting there talking with her, and she was like, she was just telling me, you know, you have nothing to lose. Like, you know, you didn't expect to even get called up here. You didn't expect to be here. They're they're they really are running you out there almost every day. Just go try to hit as many home runs as you can. And so I did, and somehow I started hitting home runs like and I was like wow that that really is something I can do and so I just I kept doing it and uh you know obviously here we are six years later and I'm still playing and I don't think I could have ever told that kid in May or April of that year that hey six years from now you're going to still be around and you will not have been back in AAA. Wow. So Allie's a pretty good hitting coach slash inspirational coach then. She is. She's always had my back. We've been together since she was 15 and I was 17. So she knows me inside and out. She knows everything about me. She knows what's in my head. She knows, she knows that I think a little bit too much and I try a little too hard sometimes. And um, she could see it. She could see it weighing on me. And it was the first time that she ever really, like, looked at me and, and spoke her whole mind instead of just trying to you know I don't want to say coddle but instead of trying to sugarcoat things she just like why well like, just go do this like you know if you fail so what and I was like I guess you're right but I guess it's easier to look you know it's easier to say somebody failed when you held something back but when you don't hold anything back and you go out there and you give it everything and you fail sometimes that's harder to take because you're like man I really didn't have it and um, I don't know if maybe that was my problem, just that, that fear of failure. But she told me that, and for some reason I listened like an idiot. But uh, it worked, and, and uh, I'm very, very thankful for that conversation. That was the year, of course, that you guys won the division and were really kind of a surprise on the very last day of the season. What, what, what is, are your memories of that day? That is the single best memory I have in baseball um, is that last day of the season is – you know, that morning it was a day game. Uh, we got up and uh, I, I was, I drove Cliff Pennington, Seth Smith, and Jim Miller to the field. We all rode together to the field, and we were blasting InSync music just because we were so pumped up. But we had so much energy, and you know, I mean, we didn't know what to do with it. So we just, I just turned up the music and started being an idiot and dancing, and they followed along. We were singing and. You know, just went into the clubhouse so loose that day because it was almost the exact mirror image of what I was going through as a player as a time. It's like we had nothing to lose. I mean, we weren't supposed to be where we were. We had no business, you know, supposedly being in that game and, and trying to play for the division against Texas, who had an unbelievable veteran team. They had an MVP candidate in center field. You know, they had Kinsler. They had Michael Young. They had so many good players. And here we are going to the last day of the se season, and the only two players that anybody knew anything about on our team were Coco and Balfour. So here we are, and, and I mean, we dominated them that game. We, we have, I mean, we embarrassed them. And then we ran into Verlander in the playoffs, but that seems to happen to a lot of people. I mean, you know, you always wonder what would have happened if we could have gotten past the Tigers those two years. 
but at the same time, I mean, we were facing one of the one of one of that generation, this generation's best pitchers in his prime, in a playoff atmosphere, and he just shut us down. I mean, there was nothing we could do about that. But that day, that was the single best day on a baseball field I've ever had. The flip side of that, I hate to bring it up, but um, the wild card game in 2014, you obviously had a really nice day that day, two home runs, but um, you know it was an incredible back and forth game. But the sting of that, I know a lot of people around here still feel. What, what, what are your recollections I've, from that? Yeah, I, st- I mean, I had to hear about that game a lot. You know, you, I went over there and played with, with the Royals last year, and they always wanted to talk about that game because I did have a good game. And in all honesty, I really needed to have a good game that game because I had been struggling for a couple months at that time. And I had been going through the hip issue and just trying to play through a lot of pain. I got the quarter zone shot and I was finally starting to feel a little better. And to go out there and like, you know, if that's going to be the last game you play for an organization that gave you your opportunity and, you know, that, that you're and you're going to go out there and lay it all on the line, what, what I couldn't have asked personally for a better game. Um, it just didn't go our way. I mean... If, to to sit here and relive that game and rewatch it sometimes and watch things on it, it's it was an amazing baseball game. It had everything you could have asked for, and they just came out on top. I mean, I don't think that they were better than us. I don't think that we were better than them. We couldn't have been more polar opposite of teams. But you know, at the end of, at the end of the game, they were the ones that that came out on top, and you know, they went on to go to the World Series and then win the World Series the next year. And if we had won that game, I liked our chances because I didn't feel like the Angels or the Orioles or any of the other teams that we would have played, I didn't feel like they were as good as us. So I feel like the team that matched up the worst with us was the Royals. And, you know, we, we gave them everything we had. They gave us everything they had, and they won. And, you know, they got a World Series championship the next year out of it, and we didn't. So it might have turned out a little different if we had won that game and gone on to, you know, go deeper in the playoffs. But maybe Donaldson would have stayed. You know, maybe we wouldn't have traded all the guys we traded. But, you know, that's, that's easy to sit here and say now. You were obviously one of the guys who did get traded that offseason. Did that take you by surprise, or given the fact that there was so much movement at that point, was it just kind of like not not too much of a shock? No, it definitely surprised me, only because of the way I had finished the year and the fact that I was just coming off of a hip surgery. And I I know Billy. I know, I know that I know that you know I know how it works here, and and I'm not blind to it. And I'm, that's not a negative thing. Different teams have different ways that they operate, but you usually see guys get traded at the peak of their value, and I don't think you could have had me at any worse value. And so that was why I was surprised. I totally envisioned Reddit getting traded. I totally envisioned Josh getting traded, uh, uh, Donaldson. And I, you know, I, saw, I saw a lot of the guys getting traded that got traded. I just didn't see myself getting traded just because I, didn't, I had no value until I proved that I was healthy again. And I wasn't even healthy the next year in 15. I had to battle that whole year just to make it through. And then in 16, the power returned, so I was thankful for that. But, um, yeah, I mean, it was surprising to get traded. But, uh, you know, there's nothing you can do as a player. You move on and you have good memories. And, uh, you know, it is what it is. There's nothing you can do about that. Now, the last time you were here, um, I think one of my favorite stories I've ever done was I went around the clubhouse and I asked everyone for their best Brandon Moss stories. And there were a lot of them, several of them that I could not put in a family newspaper. Um, (laughs) But two of my favorite ones were ones that you told. Um, You told me about your dad in the Lazy River. And you told me about Jaden when he was asked to sing a song in preschool. 
Um, and, and, yeah, and the, uh, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah, so the can you for yes? So can you for our readers? First of all, tell tell the story about your your dad embarrassing you hugely when you were a teenager. My dad's known for this stuff. Like anything that could be worst imaginable worst imaginable situation and scenario for him to embarrass you, he's going to do it. So I'm like 12 years old, and we're at this place called Whitewater in Atlanta, and I'm with my two cousins and my uncle, and I'm with my dad and my mom and everyone. Our whole family's there, and we're in the Lazy River, and it goes around the whole park. And there are these three or four 17, 16, 17-year-old girls that are behind me, and like obviously me, I'm I was always a flirt, so I'm flirting with them, and you know I'm talking to them, or I'm doing stupid stuff, you know, doing what kids do, trying to get attention, and all of a sudden, my dad grabs me and just yanks my shorts off and throws them on top of like like 20 feet off the lazy river, and like you know how lazy river is, like you can't. You got to keep going, so I have to go all the way around the park with no shorts or pants on, totally naked, and then the girl stayed in the freaking lazy river the whole time I was in it and waited on me to jump out, and I was like, this is this the worst situation of my life. I had to jump out naked and go get my shorts and jump back in. Oh, that was such an awful situation. But you know what? You learn from that. If you can deal with that kind of embarrassment, then you can deal with anything. So that was, he he did stuff like that to me all the time. And I even, I mean, I'm good natured and I'm easy going. So I thought it was funny back then, but there's some kids that you could not do that to. But, but I, you know, I played along with it and I would try to get him back. Man, that was so embarrassing. That's a good one. I mean, let's be honest. Twelve years old. There's, I, I need. I should. I mean, I wore underwear from then on out from when I was in the when I was in the pool. A couple pairs. Yeah. Um, and what was the story about Jaden in preschool when I, I think the teacher had asked them each to to sing a, a song or something? To set it up for us. Oh yeah. Well, that's that was in you know. So he was in a Christian preschool, and. You know, most kids when they sing, I guess, I guess most parents when they sing their kids to sleep at night, and you know, they they sing "Jesus Loves Me," I guess, or they sing, or they tell, I don't know what they sing. Twinkle, 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 little twinkle, star. little star. Well, me, I sing country songs. So we go to school, and or he goes to school one day, and we pick him up, and his teacher comes up to him, and she, she goes, "Jaden's got an interesting good night song," and I go, "What?" And then he, she goes, "Yeah, we asked, uh, we asked all the kids to sing their favorite nighttime song to us, you know, part of it today in Circle Time," and Jaden started singing, um, "Fireball Whiskey," whis- yeah, that that Fireball Whiskey Whispers, <laughs> and I was like, "Temptation," you know, it's it's a Florida George Line song. And I'm like, "Oh my gosh," I was like, "I'm so sorry." I was like, "I sing to him country music." She goes, "Yeah, it's okay," you know. We thought it was funny, but. That's so Jaden. That is so Jaden. So funny. Oh. I would love to see a little kid singing a, about oh. Fireball Whiskey. Um, so you're in an unusual situation this spring. Um, obviously, you come back in the, the deal that brought Ryan Bookter to the team. And um, it's a tight roster this spring. And I know they kind of told you right away, you know, there's a tight roster. And, and we're going to try to figure out a way to get you on. And I know you've taken that as a challenge. How, how do you see things this spring? Um... I don't know how how candid I should be in this. Um, I'll be honest about part of it. In all honesty, I'm trying to get ready for a season. Um, I'm trying to get ready, and I have some some serious, serious mechanical issues that I went through the entire year last year, 
and just could not do anything but hit the ball over the fence. If I hit it anywhere else, it was just right at a guy. I didn't use any part of the field. I didn't hit off speed well. So in my mind, I'm treating it like it's spring training. I need to fix these and iron out these issues and get them ready to go and be a better hitter so that wherever I am, hopefully it's here, I can help a team win. Um, I want to be here because I love Oakland and you know I guess because like I said those three years and and just and Bob and all that you always envision yourself coming back to a place that you you love so I, I love everything about Oakland so I'm hoping that it's here I can't control if it's not you know I'm just gonna I'm doing the best that I can um, you know and if something happens and if it's the end of the if it's the end of the spring and there isn't a roster spot and I don't make the team and they cut me then that's what happens. You know, I, I'm trying, I'm going to go out and do the best I can. If I hit 500 or 200, that's the best I could do. Uh, and then, you know, if it's, if it's, if, if, if I get cut and, you know, right now there's a, there's plenty of guys like me that are still out there that are unsigned. So I don't foresee, you know, a bunch of teams jumping up saying, oh, let's go grab Brandon Moss. And if that's the case, then you know what? I'm going to get to spend a whole lot more time with my kids and be a dad. So, you know, if this spring is, you know, just a stepping stone to another team and I end up somewhere and I get to go out there and compete again and play hard and, and, and do the things I love to do, that's great. And if it's not, then it's been fun. If it comes down to it and the, there aren't other teams calling, would you consider going to Nashville? Because obviously the A's would still be paying you and, you know, it's a nice town. And No. No, I wouldn't. No, I wouldn't. Only because... You know, this is this is probably going to be my last year, and so I'm not going to spend it in AAA sitting there just trying to get back somewhere. That's just that's not who I am. Um, you know, I'm not going to do that to myself or my family. My kids are eight and four. They, you know, they're starting to play ball on their own, and I I enjoy coaching them and doing that. So I, I give everything I have when I'm here. And if 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 there's I I totally understand the situation. You know, uh, I get it. They they had to they had to get me to get a guy they really needed and. You know, I, 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 that's baseball. That's the way it works. But, you know, at some point when it comes down to it, if I get cut, then I, I get to play by my own rules. And so I don't, I don't have to do anything. And, 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 and I won't. I mean, if, if another team doesn't pick me up, I've had a good career. I've had more of a career than I ever thought I would ever have. I've done more in the game than I ever thought I would get the chance to do. I've done well for my family. I've, I've given our, us an opportunity to live a very comfortable life and my kids to have things that they never, you know, I have nothing left to prove or do. So the only way I would do it is if I'm in the big league level competing to try to help a team and hopefully get somewhere or, or if I'm here and I get to be in a place that I love. If not, I'm happy. So I got no, no issues. You get to go home and sing more yeah, country western songs to your kids. Country western songs, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Brandon Moss, it's been a pleasure having you on A's Plus, and we love watching you this spring and always talking to you. Thanks. This week on Player's Choice, we chit-chatted with A's outfielder DH Chris Davis about what music he's listening to lately. What are you, what are you listening to right now? Right now, I like Schoolboy Q, um, Kendrick. Um, been listening to that new Black Panther album. How's that? Have you seen the movie? No, I haven't seen the movie yet, but uh, the music is produced by Kendrick Lamar, and he's really... Uh, really popular with me. What do you like best on that, that album? Is there a particular song or an artist on there that you... No, I haven't uh, listened to it long enough. I'm just still uh, just testing it out. I just like what I've heard. 
so far. I don't have a specific song yet. How about the Kendrick Lamar's latest, his own solo? Uh, it's good. Like, um, there's a there's a song with Schoolboy Q that I just enjoy. Are there any like Oakland-based artists that you really like? Uh, yeah, but they're a lot older. They're not not my age, but yeah, there there are a few. Um, I like Clyde Carson, um, E Forty, of course, but. Um, yeah. That's awesome. Anything else you're listening to? Dang, Mark. No, not really. Are you? How do you listen to music? Are you a guy that like actually buys music, or do you listen on Spotify? I like to support it. Uh, I like to buy the album sometimes, but everything's gone to digital now, so it's just just kind of Spotify. Spotify. Me too. Time for Shea Plus, our weekly talk with Chronicle National baseball writer John Shea. And as always, we, we seem to have a, another interesting and busy week to discuss. Uh, first of all, John, I wanted to ask you about the grievance that the Players Association filed against four teams, uh, the Rays, the Pirates, the Marlins, and, of course, the A's over failure to spend, uh, spend the revenue-sharing checks they get. Now, of course, we know the A's have lost uh, 50% of their revenue sharing checks over the last two years, but um, they're, they're still part of this grievance, which uh, Major League Baseball has termed uh, essentially a non-issue. What, what's your take on that, the grievance? Well, it's interesting because three of those four teams just lost franchise players, and the one team that didn't is the A's, who seem to lose so many players anyway. They never have a chance to build up a franchise guy. But, we, you know, the other three that you mentioned, Tampa Bay, Pittsburgh, and Miami, you know, Longoria, McCutcheon, and Giancarlo Stanton, those are all the guys in those uh, locales. And they're all making big money, uh, on the verge of making bigger money. And, and you know, for whatever reason, mostly downsizing, rebuilding, tanking, uh, according to the union and some agents, they downsized and are moving beyond those big names, got some prospects. In the Marlins case, maybe not great prospects, but in any event, those were three that were dinged. The A's were also dinged, but it's pretty much business as usual. I mean, it's not every year they drop $20 million in payroll, but to include the A's, I think, was just uh, maybe, sure, let's include the A's. You know, I, I think it's basically the union being fed up in, in the aftermath of an offseason in which free agency was slow, uh, the payrolls are down, and their allegation that a third of all teams are tanking and not trying to win in 2018. So I think the A's are just part of this because they're low rent, low payroll, uh, low revenue. Well, I'm not sure about low revenue when everyone's making $50 million uh, on the side in that Disney deal this year. But I, I just think they were tacked on to these other three teams. Not that they don't belong. But I do think that, uh, the, you know, with the other the other teams downsizing and, in, in, you know, great players, the A's didn't necessarily do that 
you know, they didn't lose a marquee guy. They lost a lot of guys in the last year or two. But I think it's it's a little different for the A's because I think it's business as usual. Right, and they had announced this rebuild that they're going through last year. So this this shouldn't come as a surprise to anyone. Uh, they, there are several things that, you know, a lot of people around baseball think that this is sort of almost a misdirect by the union. You know, there are a lot of the rank and file have not been happy about the way things have gone during the off season, and then feel that the, the union... Uh, bears some of the blame there. Uh, but for the A's, you know, some of the A's people will say, certainly at, at least off the record, they've made some pretty good faith efforts to sign some guys who have then gone elsewhere. Obviously, Brian Dunsing took $3 million left, less to go to the Cubs. Uh, last year, uh, Edwin Encarnacion, uh, or two years ago, Edwin Encarnacion took less to go to the Blue Jays in, in terms of annual average value of the, the deal. It was a slightly longer deal. Uh, and, and over the years, that's been, you know, they offered Adrian Beltre more than the Red Sox did one year. It's it's, it's certainly happened from time to time that they, they just can't get, all things being equal, they can't get guys to go there if, they're, if they have offers elsewhere. Now, who knows what the A's have offered to other free agents this offseason uh, and uh, if there were some more good faith efforts. But they certainly feel right now, even with a lot of good free agents out there, pitchers and catcher, um, clearly, that they are not adding at this point. So that maybe is where some of the union frustration comes in with a team like the A's. You could also argue with the A's current rebuild, like, do they need to? You know, they want to look at their own pitchers. They, they feel pretty happy with their catching when you ask them about it. Uh, so it's it's a really a fascinating thing. Our colleague Ann Killian, Killian addressed it in her column in today's Chronicle, uh, uh, saying that, you know, this sort of more of the same from the A's. They've got a lot of bright young players um and billy bean feels really good about the group but the fact that they still can't add pieces even if needed is a little worrisome it's a good point you make you know the, the a's maybe are making some good faith effort in signing. and this goes back 10 years where they bring a guy in he looks at the coliseum and he takes less elsewhere because it's it, it, it better facilities uh maybe a town closer to their hometown or maybe a team that they think could uh, contend uh, more easily than, than Oakland. But but on the other hand, you look at the case of Tony Watson, which I addressed in a recent column. Both the Bay Area teams were in on him. Um, the, the Giants signed him in kind of a creative deal to stay under that threshold of 197, the payroll, uh, for three years and $9 million. Now, are we saying the A's couldn't have beaten that deal? I mean, the money they gave to Axford, the money they gave to Matson, and the money they gave to some other relievers who weren't necessarily closers, um, and, and Watson isn't, but he's a fantastic one-inning lefty. You know, he's a full-inning guy, maybe not situational. And, the you know, the A's could have used him. They, you know, they, they did make that trade uh, with Kansas City to get the lefty, uh, and also Moss. They took on that contract, but... But I, I, I'm curious, you know, why they couldn't have done better than three years and nine million for a guy like Tony Watson when all those other relievers, those uh, setup guys early in uh, the offseason were being signed for, you know, three years and 18, three years and 21. I mean, they were top notch guys, but Watson has had a two and a half ERA his whole career and he's a lefty and he's a full inning guy. I, so I, I, I think the I, I think you, in that in, in that case I think you could say well maybe the A's could have paid more for Tony Watson. Yeah, I suspect that his price tag was much higher when the A's were talking to him. You know, they, they the A's gave 10 million dollars to to um, Musmero Petit 
um, mm-hmm. earlier in the offseason. I, I think maybe if they could have gotten Tony Watson for around that level, they probably would have done it. So I suspect he, he was not asking, or certainly his agent, Scott Boris, was not asking for that. It was probably much more at that case. And then the A's went out and got Ryan Buchter from the Royals, taking on that Brandon Moss $5 million to do so. Uh, and I think that's where they feel like, okay, we spent this money to get in Buchter. You know, it, Tony Watson's is, n- is now a great deal at $9 million, but, the, but they'd already addressed that, and they don't they don't need two, uh, you know, primary left-handers in the bullpen. So I think if, if they'd waited a little bit, maybe Watson would have been a guy that they'd gone after, but they I think they got tired of waiting. You know, the revealing point in the Ann Killiam, Ann Killiam column you, you referred to were included uh, quotes from Billy Bean, and I don't know if I've seen these before. And one of them, or maybe two of them, in the column kind of reference, hey, this is our budget. This is what they give us. I mean, we all know Billy Bean is a minor, you know, uh, owner of, what, far less than 10%, maybe less than 5%. So it's not like he's uh, huge on the, you know, decision-making with, with the final budget, as John Fisher is, because it's mostly his money. But to quote Ann Killian, he said, she's, Billy Bean says, we're at the maximum of what we can do right now, and we're given a budget, and we can only spend what we can spend. So that's pretty telling. I mean, John Fisher sets the budget, obviously, and Billy Bean would probably like a bigger budget with David Force to get more players, to get the Tony Watsons, to get uh, maybe more of a frontline starter, to get maybe another catcher. Uh, you know, their offense seems fine, a lot of pop. Uh, you got young guys all around the field, but is the pitching going to be good enough? I, I, I'm not convinced that it's going to be good enough. It, it could have used some help, and maybe the the catching uh, depth could have been improved w- with the uncertainty of, of Bruce Maxwell on and off the field. So, you know, there are things that they could have done, and when Billy says things like, we can only spend what we can spend, that kind of suggests that, well, maybe he wanted a little bit more and Fisher wasn't willing to budge. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think there's any doubt that, say, a veteran starter or a um, an extra catcher, you know, Jonathan Lucroy is out there, and I, I know his skills have diminished as, as a catcher. Um, there's, there, there's no doubt about that. But a veteran, especially given the fact that uh, Bruce Maxwell's situation is up in the air, uh, and and the fact that Lucroy has got to be uh, a relative bargain at this point, those to me are things where, yeah, those would make sense to do. Uh, and yet it does not appear that there's the money to do that. And the point is, with all these teams, hey, we can increase the payroll $20 million, and we're still going to have a losing record, or we can in- increase the payroll $20 million, or we're still not going to it contend. Right. So why not you know, refuse to spend now to build for later? And that's the whole genesis of this grievance that Tony Clark of the Union has, has filed against Major League Baseball, and it's the whole complaint that the Union has against these owners who, who by the way, the revenues for the industry is over $10 billion now. The revenues continue to increase. The payrolls, on average, are coming down this year. The Yankees, Dodgers, Giants, all cutting payroll to get under that 197. You know, to me, obviously, that's that's uh, you know that's a cap. That's not a revenue. You know, that's not a threshold. That's a cap, not a hard cap, but a cap that all these owners are, are adhering to and living by. 
And that doesn't uh, bode well for a lot of these free agents. Still 60 on the market. And, you know, a lot of them in Florida playing for this union team. Uh, and, and, and most of them probably scratching their heads saying, well, I, I'm not good enough to be in the big leagues. Well, of course you are. But these 40-man these rosters are virtually full. And most of the back end have very cheap prospects. And yeah. Those are the those are the, the, the kinds of people the owners are saying. Well, I, I'd rather have them than these these unemployed, unsigned free agents that I have to pay more for. Yeah, you, you raise a lot of really good points. First of all, you know what your your first remarks couldn't be more true. I think a lot of teams look and, and do say, look, we could spend ten, twenty million dollars, but more. But what's that going to get you? The A's always kind of remember back to that year that just to spend some extra money, they spent ten million dollars on Ben Sheets. And, you know, it just it was just kind of a, a waste of money. Wonderful guy. And actually, I would argue he was he was good for a young pitching staff. A lot of the young pitchers later said he was he was really, you know, kind of helped them out when they were young. Mm-hmm. But 10 million, that's that's an awful lot to, to just get a, a good guy in the clubhouse and not much else. Uh, so you can certainly you can see that argument. What I hear a lot of recently, and I think you've probably heard it, is um, union people, players, other people in the union saying, there needs to be a, a salary floor, you know, a minimum salary. But again, I don't know, you know, there are going to be teams that are going to say, why should we have to pay, you know, spend $80 million at a minimum or whatever they would set it at when we're doing a full rebuild? You know, it, if we're, we're going to go out and say, add like a Matt Holiday or, or somebody like that just to, you know, you're taking a roster spot away from a kid and you're sort of needlessly spending money. So, for a, a league that ostensibly does not have a salary cap, I, I don't know that you could institute a salary minimum. They're all really, you know, fascinating questions. Baseball is going to have to deal with over the next couple of years, and um, the next this, the next CBA agreement is going to be fascinating. Yeah, and um, you know, to, to speak of that, the, the whole the whole reason for that strike in '94, '95, 232 days without Major League Baseball, was because the Bud C. League-led uh, coalition of owners wanted to force a salary cap. And Don Fear and the union said absolutely no way. Stuck by their guns, struck for 232 days, and won. Basically, they returned to the field, and there was no salary cap. Well, now, and, and the whole reason, you know, the, the, there was no talk of a floor, what, the union didn't want a floor is because, well, if if we agreed to a floor, then the owners would want want a cap, and that was never part of the, any condition or any conversation that Donald Fear would engage in. But all these years later, there's a virtual cap and no floor. So everything that the players fought for, and, and you know, I've I've been told by many agents that Don Fear would have never approved this uh, this CBA, this collective bargaining agreement. And that's because, uh, you know, there's so many things that uh, favor the owners. And the, and the players always used to win these, win these negotiations. And, and, and this one, not so much. Yeah, it's a, I mean, this is something we're going to probably be talking a lot about this, this year and in, in the coming years. I don't think it's going away anytime soon. As always, John, an absolute pleasure to have you on A's Plus. And we will talk to you again next week. Thanks, Susan. Talk to you then. This show is part of the San Francisco Chronicle Podcast Network. Our theme music is The Third by Anatech, courtesy of the Free Music Archive. The show is produced by me and Fernando Diaz. 
For more A's coverage, you can follow me on Twitter, at Susan Slusser. Check out all of our coverage at sfchronicle.com.